Fulk. One, the headline grabber, which everybody knows. It's text line Tuesday. So get those texts in, 590, 590. That's why it's large. You, uh, you can have your say coming up in the next segment with um, Phil in text reader. Producer Daniele Franceschi. So that's big. That's a huge, huge, major headline. And then the sub headline is uh, George Springer. Probably going to make his debut today. In fact, why hasn't there been anything official? Why, why has nobody said definitely George Springer is playing today? Why didn't they say it last night? Why haven't they said it today that he's been activated? It's making me a little bit nervous, in fact. I was nervous about it last night. You know what I'm not nervous about, though? That Springer might be making his debut tonight, tomorrow, whatever. We're going to see Freddie Anderson before this is all said and done. Like, what are you more excited for, George Springer in regular season games or Freddie Anderson's potential for the playoffs? Because I think it's, it's oddly you want to see George Springer more right now because you haven't seen him. But Freddie Anderson is the bigger return by a factor of 10 bajillion at this point. Yeah, here's um, the thing. We can twist our brain into knots and you can try and enforce this fact to be true but it's not that George Springer is going to change the offense the Blue Jays are going to look like a totally different team one of nine and the leadoff man playing center field he's going to take this below average offense and make them above average that's not fair that's probably not true what is true is that Frederick Anderson can take a team that is out in the first round to the Stanley Cup uh, you can win a Stanley Cup for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That is unquestionably true. So, yeah, the <laughs> I'm excited to watch George Springer play in regular season games. It's a different conversation yeah. than the Freddie Anderson one. So, which do you want to start with? Oh, I get to choose? Yeah, you can decide. All right, let's start with Freddie then. Because um, okay. he spoke yesterday. Participated in practice, full practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess before or after he was between two pylons and doing some weirdo drill where he's, you know, had to stay in the pylons. It's a cool drill. I'd never seen that before. Well, that's Dwayne Rolison, who used to be his goalie coach, if he's seen that drill. Yeah, I'd never seen it. So apparently did well at that drill. Participated well, you, fully. You go to practice. a lot of NHL practices? Is that you? I've been to a few. <laughs> You're like, I've never seen that drill. What drills have you seen? Uh, the one where, oh, ooh, ooh, my favorite is at the end of the pregame skate where they all try and jam it in. Yeah. You know, there's everybody, yeah, okay. all the forwards on the team are right there just trying to jam it in. That's my favorite drill. Really like that one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, second favorite now is the pylon drill. <laughs> pylon drill, second favorite. So uh, some clarity from Freddie Anderson. One, he's like, okay, let's get rid of the mystery. It was a knee. A knee was hurt. Mm-hmm. Spent all this mm-hmm. time on the shelf with a knee injury. Secondarily, two weeks left in the regular season and said there's a couple of different options, but I would really like to see some game action here. So he is going to play in a game. Also some clarity today that he can play in the American League with the Marlies, who are resuming play. They've been off a couple of weeks because of a COVID scare. He can play with the Marlies without coming off LTIR. So Zach Hyman does not have to go on LTIR to see Freddie Anderson in a professional hockey game. Won't be with the Leafs. Needs to be activated off of it to play for the Leafs. But he can go on a conditioning stint with the Marlies, which seems like that's definitely going to happen. Yeah. There's a couple things I wish I didn't waver on. And this happens because we get caught in the moment of things and you react with how you feel. But one is that I knew the AHL conditioning thing and wavered. But most importantly is when he got hurt, I said, I don't think that there's any amount of winning that Jack Campbell can do where he steals the net from Freddie Anderson and he becomes the number one goalie of this team. And as we're getting closer to the return of Freddie Anderson, it feels to me anyway, and you can tell me if it feels differently to you, that he has not lost his net. That the opportunity will be given to him to play himself at least into that first game, right? Either there's the conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat, me take of he just plays in the American Hockey League and then he's activated for the playoffs and he's given game one, which would be uber conspiracy and uber like, okay, he never even came close to losing the net. Or possibility two, he gets in here for, say, one or two games, 
looks competent in them, is not just flailing in them, and they still put him in net for game one. At this point, if it was Vegas, and we had to project the who is starting game one for the Toronto Maple Leafs odds, in fact, we should ask our buddy Coolbat Chris to throw this up on Coolbat, yeah. is... Would you not say Freddie Anderson is the front runner? Would you not bet that right now? If it was even odds, would you not take Freddie Anderson over Jack Campbell? I 100% would. I would 100%. Right, and Jack Campbell's been Anderson. good, really good. He won 12 straight games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he genuinely did the most amount of winning you could do. They just beat the Jets in back-to-back games, the team that was supposedly their biggest threat in the division, which has now flipped again and flopped into we don't really know who the Leafs competition is, which makes it even more clear of how important it is for them to get out of the North Division, but it really does feel as though Freddie Anderson feels like he's playing these games, and luckily we have, again, Dwayne Rolison later, his former goaltending coach with Anaheim for three seasons to talk about Freddie's mentality, and I'm sure the two of them still have a relationship to this day. Maybe he ends up giving us a little nugget, but I think Freddie's starting. I think the thing I was saying going into the injury remains true, that he could not lose the net because of injury. It's so funny that and he's, these National Hockey League coaches, they know everything. They know every detail about the forwards and the line combinations and every little shift. They can tell you what happened and who was supposed to be where and, and, and who missed an assignment. But when it comes to goaltending, like almost every single one just throws their hands in the air. They're like, I don't know. It didn't make a couple saves that I thought he should have made. I'll defer to the goaltending coach. I'll defer to somebody who knows something about goaltending. It feels like they've done that to a massive degree with Freddie Anderson, where he said, listen, I haven't been healthy this season. That's affected my play. I want to shut it down. I'm going to come back on my terms. Here's what I need to be ready for a postseason run, and here's what you're going to do. And they're like, okay, sure, fine. For the first time in your tenure here, since we acquired Jack Campbell, you have a backup, and we're competent, and we're fully mm-hmm. entrenched in our spot atop the North Division. Whatever you got to do, do it. And if it means mm-hmm. you just show your face two weeks before the end of the season so we save face with the rest of the league, that it's not like, man, it's been a month of Freddie Anderson practicing, and he's really practicing. He's another full participant in practice. It's the third straight week. When will he get into a game? Who knows? This is the perfect amount of time, actually, with two weeks left in the regular season where it's plausible, where he gets a week of practice games, and then he plays a couple of AHL games before the the postseason. They did it perfectly. They got everybody off their case. Dude, you and I are sometimes the same sports lunatic where we have... This is an Occam's razor situation where the most, what what is it? The simplest explanation is the true one, right? Which is, Mm -hmm. hey, Freddie Anderson was actually hurt. They weren't really sure about the injury. They had another guy who has a history of injuries in Jack Campbell. So they went out and traded for Dave Riddick. And then my brain goes like yours where it's, hey, no, no, no. None of that's true. Freddie Anderson was lightly hurt. They rested him. They wanted to get his confidence right. <laughs> they left it till an extra amount of games so that he couldn't have his confidence rattled. They put in Jack Campbell for the right amount of games because they didn't want him to get hurt. But then they traded for Dave Riddick because they wanted to have at the, the, the tribunal for mm. whether the Leafs circumvented the cap. Why would we give up a third-round oh, pick? Why would we give up a third-round pick yeah. for David Riddick if we didn't think he was going to play? It's literally Samson Simpson. Why would I wear this hat? Like, that's... <laughs> That's Kyle Dubas standing honor, in front of the tribunal. Your Honor, yeah. this charge levied against us has no basis in reality. Right. Clearly, there was a legitimate fear that Freddie Anderson would never be mm-hmm. able to return for our team. A third-round pick is not a nothing, sir. Yeah. yeah. Order! How dare you? Order! How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. If this thing goes the way that it looks like it's going and the way that it looks like it was always going, according to us... That's what's fun about being our show, by the way. We get to be the dumb guys who play the conspiracy stuff, but every once in a while when those things come like even yeah. close to being true, we get to claim wins, massive so wins. It's so what? obvious. Like, it, it, but that's the thing. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, but you don't get they to say to... this if you're a genuine hockey reporter. Like, what are you talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, you don't yeah. Get to... No, no that, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. You have to use a, a legitimate fact and actual mm-hmm. reporting from sources. We can Kate. just say... Yeah, what what we think, and I do like it's not that I don't think that that's reality. I really do think it's uh-huh. reality, and they have 
Pridham who knows the CBA inside and out so that they can do things like this. Yeah. I couldn't help but imagine being an opposing GM in the North Division, though, and watching the Freddie Anderson practice last night and going, okay, so what's the deal here? We're going to let this go. Because then Sheldon Keefe says, well, you know, he's not really close, and for now it's Dave, and uh, we're, we're, he's getting closer. And, like, yeah. how far away could he be? No, he's, <laughs> he's practicing participating fully. In practice, yeah. but two weeks. Right. Here's the thing: he hasn't played in so long, JD. You don't. Right. You don't. Yeah, I don't know. I guess you got to get know. the rust off. So yeah. this is. Yeah, yesterday was like the first layer of rust. There's still yeah. a lot of rust there. You got to chip yeah. away. You got one of those chisels. Uh, yeah. So that'll be today. Some more rust chiseling, and then eventually, gotta you got. You got to. You can't just step right back into the National Hockey yeah. League. You got to go to the American League. Again, I would be made to look a fool for bringing up the fact that this guy was just rollerblading around Vancouver <laughs> without knee pads, <laughs> with just his shorts, with just re- cruising around with a knee injury and saying happy days. It, how I wonder how they're going to do this cover up on the Amazon series, I was just right? Gonna say, how are they going like, to? He's going to be walking every time he sees the Amazon cameras. Oh, he's going to oh. be in one of those. Oh, you got to get him one of those little scooters where his leg goes up and he's just floating around the dressing room like I'm really hurt. It's me, Freddie Anderson. And again, really hurt. Really, yeah, and then he de- verbal can't. As soon as the camera pans away, yeah, exactly. yeah, goes yeah the they just see him walk. The yeah, they have to fall. Walk. Oh, I tried to get up. Oh, <laughs> oopsies, oopsie daisies. No, he's fine. He's going to be fine. He's going to play in games. And yeah, I think at this point, he's the favorite to start game one for the Toronto Maple Leafs in a postseason. As uncomfortable as that may be for some. And boy, I would say. You feel great about it for multiple reasons. One is that even if there was a reality in which Freddie Anderson murders them in game one, right? The ultimate doomsday scenario kills them in game one and the Leafs are spinning down 0-1 and their goalie let in five goals and three of them are stinkers and they couldn't overcome it. Jack Campbell has done exactly what you've wanted him to do, which is prove that he is capable of stealing that net that he is right there, that he will keep the pressure on Freddie Anderson, that if he does slip up, you feel great about what the guy behind him can do. And when have the Leafs had that thing, right? They've played Columbus, and Columbus had the opportunity to go, hey, we'll go Merzlikens, we'll flip between him and Corpusalo. When they've played the Bruins, they've said, hey, we can go with either goalie. We can go with Alak, we can go with Rask. We can flip either one of these two guys, and we feel great in front of both. Leafs haven't had that. They no. have not had that in the playoffs. They've never had a situation like this where Freddie Anderson struggled. You felt great about the safety valve option. I just still believe that Jack Campbell is the safety valve option because the ceiling is a little bit lower than Freddie Anderson. And frankly, I believe Freddie Anderson has done enough with this organization, with this franchise, and with this core where they owe it to him. I don't know about O because you, it's everybody's – everything's on the line and not getting out yep. of the North Division is a, so, such a massive disaster that Kyle Dubas might be fired if, they, if it doesn't happen. If they don't get through no, the Montreal Canadiens and maybe the Edmonton Oilers, there's nothing I can say that's off the table uh, this side of, of trading Austin Matthews, obviously. You know what? I got to say, I, I really don't feel that way at all. And I would no. have said that. No, it will be Benny. If they get knocked out, and we'll be doing this show many times, so I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole because it's a deep, deep rabbit hole. But if the Leafs get knocked out, I actually think that their regular season was so positive and that there's so much here to build off of that if they lose, it's because of some freak occurrence in the postseason well, that's, that I mean, you, you don't just blow up the happens. formula anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If they get completely outplayed and out-toughed and they can't get anybody going and uh, – I think there would be a, a monumental change to the roster before Kyle Dubas was let go. I, I really, really, really don't believe his job is on the line anymore. I really don't. Okay. Yeah. I I, I don't necessarily want to have this massive conversation. I, I, I would say that it's... No, we'll do it later. I, I don't know if he's going to be fired, but it's definitely a conversation that will be happening in the offseason, especially if they lose in the first round. And even Yeah, fans if get, will have it. Well, media will have it. We'll all have Gary it. Price I just don't think it'll goes, happen. God mode and, and turns yeah. back the clock. Anyways, uh, I'm with you. Freddie Anderson probably going to start game one. They're going to need both mm-hmm. goalies. There's probably going to be back-to-backs in the playoffs. People you know, mm-hmm. don't realize that, that the way the schedule is compressed, and especially with the way they're going to have to jam all these Canuck games in before the end of the regular season. We're going to have back-to-backs in the playoffs. Boy, and I don't know. Yeah, we had it last year. 
I know, but I don't. Oof. That's I need to see that before I start doing those takes. I've, but I've yeah, seen it that, written. It's been written a number of times that there's going to be back to backs in the playoffs. What a farce Sorry. that is. Yeah. But not only what a farce that is, but oof. I don't know what you do to handle how you handle your goalies there. I really depends, don't. Depends, right? Depends no. on the workload. If Freddie Anderson has like a 35 save performance in the first game of a back to back, and you got to turn around 24 hours later. Mm-hmm. be pretty hard to put that on a guy who just missed a month because of uh, knee injury. But anyways, besides the point, uh, good news for the Leafs is that Freddie Anderson will be, barring some massive setback, at least available to them yeah, in the postseason, it say, looks like. That's the biggest takeaway, is that no matter how you feel about it, there's no person, there's no rational Leaf fan that could say, I'm not happy about Freddie Anderson being ready for the most important stretch of right. the Leafs. No, I'm a big Dave, big save Dave guy. I really think No, I think the way you would have shape. to the way you'd, you'd be twisting yourself and with this take is that you're such a Jack Campbell believer that Freddie Anderson's presence is removing the potential for more Jack Campbell that you actually think the net you know you know what I'm getting at here, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, can you fill in the blanks for my dumb brain that's trying to connect? Yeah, you can't? think that even the mere presence of Freddie Anderson yeah. maybe will have some sort of mental effect on Jack? No, Campbell, I think that if he's pl- shoulder. the potential of him playing and removing Jack Campbell from a game is not worth having Freddie Anderson back to some people. I would say that there are those people out there. Okay, but maybe I'm just doing this Twitter straw man thing. <laughs> I don't even think. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> that is a Twitter straw man. But good news for the Leafs when it comes to the goaltending. So we teased this going into break as this story is really confusing unless you draw the most obvious conclusion. But if you draw that conclusion, it's heartbreaking. And this isn't something that's new. This is a story that I think has been getting more traction, more attention, and more credibility as of late, which is the discrepancies between men and women's sports and not just the way that they're covered, the way that the athletes are paid, the way that the athletes are treated, like we saw at the NCAA tournament, but also the ways that these events are are treated. And I saw something yesterday. I was reading a piece on ESPN, and it was Kendall Coyne Schofield, who's you know one of the faces of women's hockey, referring to the women's worlds as our Stanley Cup, and and that was just canceled, basically on the eve of with no contingency plan as we continue to run other events around the world without a, essentially any problems at this point. And so we wanted to do this yesterday. We're going to do it today, but we, uh, do we have Sarah Nurse? Is Sarah Nurse on the line? Okay, great. Well, we want to talk to Sarah Nurse about it to try to fill us in on some of the gaps because they are, um, there, there's just a lot of gaps here. Um, Sarah Nurse, member of the Canadian Women's National Hockey Team, joins us now. Hey, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Sorry about the circumstances. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's just start with this, which is walk us through how this news was delivered to the players and some of the safety precautions that you had all been taking in preparation for the event. Yeah, so basically what we were doing um, with Hockey Canada was we were actually in Halifax already. So we had already been in an isolation for about 14 days when we found out the tournament was cancelled and we were in a selection camp at that point um, so we were about to go on the ice for our last game like I'm talking we are about to step on the ice for warm-ups when they gathered us all together to tell us that the world championship had been cancelled and they were like you know we don't have really any information we found out that this was a government decision um, none of the protocols were broken we were given the green light by Um, the chief medical officer and so there wasn't a lot of answers for us and as we found out about it we were just absolutely devastated because this is something that we've been waiting for since last year when the world kind of shut down including our world championships in 2020 and so it it was definitely very hard news to hear so i'm not going to put any spin on the ball what was you and your teammates overall overriding feeling about the decision making and why this decision was made and the comparison to other events that have been held similarly Mm -hmm. it's definitely difficult because you know you don't want to automatically go to the gender lens Um, we've been able to speak with hockey canada and talk about how this decision had come to be and again they didn't have a lot of information for us either they had received an emergency uh, message saying that Um, the government had basically shut it down. And so 
when when we found out about the news, it was definitely very frustrating. Um, we totally understand that there are different circumstances surrounding other events like the men's under-18 World Championship um, that's being held in Texas. Their restrictions are obviously very different than what we have here. I think our issue is, is obviously there's no contingency plan, there's no backup plan, and the fact that the World Championship was cancelled as some teams were already in transit to Halifax and the day before um, other teams were supposed to get here. And so it was almost like we felt like we were in the clear as so our isolation period um, as a whole IIHF was about to begin. And so the fact that it got canceled so last minute with absolutely no warning, um, it definitely hurt. Yeah. And it's, We've, I, th- I think that more people have been holding governments accountable, and yeah, no one would ever say that the events or any event is more important than public safety. That's been very, very clear and obvious, and it's something that like almost doesn't even need to be said. But mm-hmm. at this point, yeah, you sort of do expect at least some government um, transparency as to why a decision like this would come through, why you wouldn't feel it's necessary to communicate to a group of people that like, hey, your event was canceled or something was canceled, especially when you are taking protocols like this, especially when it is testing and quarantines and isolation. And yeah, there's not going to be fans at these events in the first place. Like there just doesn't seem to be a lot of logic behind the decision as well. Like it, I, I don't believe that if you and your teammates and your colleagues thought that this was a public health risk, you would have been doing it in the first place. And so it it just, it's very, very odd. I guess the contingency plan thing is especially frustrating because of how fluid things have been in this country when it comes to COVID and restrictions and, and opening and closing of events. And that's the next part where it's, hey, why was there not a better contingency plan? And, and the process of going through finding out why, say, if this event couldn't go on in Halifax as it was scheduled to go off and in the timeline it was scheduled to go off, why it wouldn't be happening sooner, especially given all the circumstances surrounding professional women's hockey right now and the avenues and places you have to play. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, when they made the decision to bring the World Championship back to Halifax, um, we all love Halifax. We love the people. We love the city. It's such it's such an amazing place. And they were so confident that they would be able to host us. And I think, you know, that came that came into play when talking about contingency plans and plan B's is, is because they were so confident that they were going to be able to host us. And that confidence was right up until that last minute before we got basically the decision and there were no questions asked. There was no discussion. It was like, this is what's happening. Um, We're sorry about it. And so it's very unfortunate because we've been working so hard over the past year. I know um, obviously we want to play in a world championships. This is the best competition in the world. And so we want to play in those world championships. Um, I know at the PWHPA, we've been having a, a ton of trouble in Canada trying to host an event and, and we're very optimistic and hopeful that we'll be able to do that soon because I think we need hockey here. We need women's hockey here. Um, I know Brianne Jenner said in an, in an inter- interview the other day that, you know, little boys have been able to see the NHL go on during this entire pandemic, and that's not the same for little girls. And so we definitely want to, to be on that stage. Again, we're talking to Sarah Nurse, so maybe we can just go there now, which is the fallout of losing this event for, yeah, you as players, not just, you know, financially, but mentally as well, because I think that some of those things are you can – you can kind of draw a pretty simple conclusion, but yeah, because there has been so much difficulty of putting on women's hockey events in Canada because of the split between the dream gap tour and the NWHL. And because we just, we have not had these events. You look at what this would have meant, the coverage that it would have gotten for the game, for the things that you are currently trying to fight for has, has it even started to, settle what losing this has meant and and what having this already been delayed has has meant to all of you i think it's very frustrating not only for us as players and staff because obviously we've all we've all trained hard we've all worked hard we've all sacrificed a lot of things and so as players and staff obviously it's very frustrating but it's also frustrating for our fans and for our supporters Um, i say this all the time like the hardest thing in the world to be is a women's hockey fan because they're constantly having to find us and look for us and promote us um and so for the fans it's absolutely devastating and then the next generation obviously they don't have those visible role models to look up to and i know that i can speak from personal experience and say how difficult that was to navigate the hockey space um without any visible role models without kind of that legitimacy that that backup and so 
it's definitely difficult and, and we want to get something put on so that they can see us because it's so important for them. And then I look at it from, I guess, the financial aspect. And I spoke to Emily Kaplan of ESPN and, and basically told her that last year, because our world championships was canceled, um, I lost out on sponsorship money because they didn't see that as me holding up my end of the deal. You know, world championship, I'm not in it, regardless of if it got canceled or not. Um, that definitely happens a lot in women's sports. And because the world championship is really all we have right now, um, what we do is very contingent on it. So what's next? Uh, I saw some report that maybe the end of summer. Do you have any clarity as to when the next time you're going to be able to compete is? We do not have a date yet. Um, I've kind of heard the same things that are floating around social media at the end of summer. I know that um, Hockey Canada is working very hard to be able to put on another event. And so hopefully we can find another location within Canada because I know that we all want to play on Canadian soil. I know that Hockey Canada wants to host an event. And so we're doing everything possible um, to get an event here. And so hopefully it'll be end of summer, but it's up in the air. We'll have to see. This is always really tough in the moment, and especially since there have probably been other times where you felt like a story was going to lead to better things and then we end up in a place like where we're at right now. But is there any part of you that does feel as though this is a tipping point? Just when, like, if you do look at some other stories, it's been pretty simple for people to push back and say, well, this is why there's a difference. This kind of seems like one where you can't really do that. Do you feel as though this is going to actually have a real resonance when it comes to the way that we approach women's hockey in this country and in the States moving forward? I definitely hope so. Um, I mean, I look at what's gone on in the last year with international competition, and I look at the women's under-18 championships, and kind of what the WIHF gave us was, well, we can't have a plan B for the women's world championships because it got canceled too quick, too quick of a turnaround. And I look, well, the under-18 women's world championship got canceled four or five months prior. You're telling me you can't reschedule. You're telling me you can't find a different location for the women to play. And so I hope people see this and, and look at it and say, well, why haven't we tried harder? Have we actually done everything that we possibly can so that the women have an equal opportunity, so that the women have the opportunity to succeed? Because, you know, I'm not, play, I'm not pointing fingers. I don't want to place blame, but I'm just not sure that everything is being done at this point. So thanks for making time for us today and sorry that the interviews keep being about what could be better instead of just your events. I know that one day in the future we're going to have some good conversations about very positive things. You're like, hey, I've actually done 25 of these. (laughs) And by 25, I mean 125. Like This is basically the only interview that I do is how depressing it is and how it continues to be depressing and that everything that we say keeps getting met with situations like this. But anyways, we'll try to be optimistic too. And again, Sarah, thanks for your time and good luck with everything. Thank you. All right. There's uh, Sarah Nurse, member of the Canadian women's hockey team. It's a fraught conversation. And it's honestly behind the curtain. It's been tough to find someone to comment on the record on it because I think it's a difficult, it's a, but it's a difficult conversation to have, right? Mm-hmm. I think the issues are clear and Sarah did a good job of navigating those waters, but we live in an era where it's tough at any point to be complaining about things that are not COVID, right? And we understand that that's the priority and nobody's trying to mess with that. But, hey, the government said that this can't happen because we're in our worst COVID time ever. All right, that's that's true. It's So is Ontario been, and the least yeah, are here. Yeah, everything's been bad for a long time. Mm-hmm. And bubbles have – it was – remember how bad it was in Florida when the NBA bubble popped up? In Orlando, is as bad as it's been anywhere. And what anywhere. we knew, and what we knew at the time. This is okay. These are the things that I don't understand, and it, and this is what's so frustrating. And even for someone like Sarah Nurse to not have been given information on it is okay. It, it actually shows you even more of the differences. Like if you're someone right now and you're pissed off and you're saying, "Well, why are you doing?" It's like just think about how much information we would have if they canceled a men's event. How accountable the people would be for doing this. Like, Sarah just came on here and was like, we just didn't even get any notice. And then our hockey organization is like, it's a government decision. And that's the end of the discussion. Imagine in December. So it's December 23rd. We're getting ready to start the World Juniors. The the kids have been locked into that arena Mm -hmm. for a month working out. And they're like, you know what? It's just too Mm -hmm. bad. It's a bad bad look. Everybody go home. Even though... 
there was way more reason to cancel that event when people there were coaches upon coaches upon players upon right. rosters that were decimated by COVID right. before they arrived in the bubble. Yes. Imagine they canceled that event and the amount of information that we would have as to why, what contingencies were explored, what kind of lobbying occurred. It would be a massive inquisition. This is basically just, well, you know, it's COVID. And the players have to basically just say, yeah. well, you know, we understand that our sport isn't the most uh, highest priority thing on the planet right now. And we are extremely frustrated. We want to play and it doesn't seem fair, but uh, we'll just do our best at the next event. And it's BS and it's awful. And so while Sarah can't say that she's going to point to certain things, like we can, and we'll just say it very, very clearly that this is 100% the reason why. It's not the 100% the reason why it was canceled. They obviously didn't look at it and say, well, it's just women's sports, right. but the way that it has been handled and the difference in which it is handled from men's sports, it's just clear. It's very, very obvious. And you can look at it from every single avenue in terms of the priority that it takes, in terms of the contingency planning that it would have had, in terms of the media coverage that it's been given, in terms of the transparency when it comes to governing bodies. It's just every single speck of this story reeks of gender inequality. And I... <laughs> I guess if I don't know if we're strawmanning or what it is, but part of the frustrating thing is when you do get pushback to stories like this, when you say, "What? How would this not make you upset? How would this not anger you?" Yeah, we're more than a year into this thing. I, don't, I know it, it feels like just yesterday we lived a normal life. Like I've already forgotten what normal life was, but it's mm -hmm. uh, it's been over a year. <laughs> We've been doing this for a long, long time. We had these conversations. When we did the thing where the people were like, why are we even caring about sports now? How can we do this? And a couple of playoff bubbles went off without a hitch, and then we started playing outside of those bubbles, and those went off with hitches, but we kept doing them. But this was going to be one of those bubbles. Like, we've done it. Man, we did it for curling. Did it for curling, and we've done it for both genders when it comes to curling. Mm -hmm. I, I There is... Not an example you can point to of sporting events that have been done in this manner in which there's been issues. Yeah. Again, even if you were going to cancel the event, then there should have been something. The idea that we still don't know when this is going to take place, when it is, is again, the most visible women's hockey player on the planet is saying that it's our Stanley Cup. And we're like, imagine the cup was canceled. And now we go, just like, when's it going to be played? Well, we don't really know. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know. But it's COVID. You know, you can't play the Stanley Cup. It's like, no, we played it okay. in the height of COVID when we knew yeah. less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We know more now, and more people are going to be vaccinated. And uh, Actually, yes. the, the there was, like, more, it seems, planning and execution when it came to the Lightning's Cup parade in public yes. in Florida than there was for this, where people were sharing a thing to drink out of. Yep. Said the last block. Leafs are good. They're the best team in the division doesn't mean that they're going to get out of the division doesn't even mean they're going to win a round in the division but they're the best team in the division and the x factor for them is goaltending their number one goaltender the starter going into the season uh practice for the first time full participant was uh, freddie anderson yesterday working his way back hopefully in time for the postseason a man who knows him well joins us next Dwayne rollison former nhl goalie he was the goaltending coach for the ducks and uh, currently goaltending and skills coach for the Victoria Royals joins us online right now. Dwayne, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Um, you've got one of... Yesterday we were trying to think about best possible perspective on Freddie Anderson and outside of him. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of guys who coached him for three years individually, so thanks for doing this. I guess let's just start with that. What's, like, what's the relationship like between you two guys? Uh... Oh, you have to ask Freddie that one. Um, oh, it's, uh, it's actually really it's it's good. Um, uh, we're we're in contact, you know, like once a month or so, just checking in, see how everyone's doing, see how his family's doing back in Denmark. Uh, you know, he's checking in, see how my boys are doing, and and uh, now he's all over me about uh, being down in Florida, living the, the good life down here with a fellow Canadian, Marco Parrott, and his brothers are up in Burlington right now. So, so he's all over me, chirping me about uh, all that stuff. So, it's a it's a great relationship. We have a good working relationship, and you know, when it come when it came time to work, it was work time, and when it came, we were able to separate the two. And when it was time to talk about family and other things, it was. It was uh, it was good. It's a it's a good relationship, and 
instill a, a relationship that I respect and cherish every day. Yeah, it's funny when you said you'd have to ask him. I was like, and we're about to, because it's a Jerry Springer type of show where he's on the line. And he, yeah. he's, about, he's, yeah, he's got some things that he wants to get off his chest to you, Dwayne. Uh, yeah, so it, it's I'm interesting. Sure he does, so. yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he seems to be so popular with his teammates, with guys that he used to play with, with guys around the league. And yet for us as like fans and media, he's pretty standoffish. He's pretty quiet. You look at him and you start to basically stereotype the guy as a goalie, a quiet goalie, as a quiet dame, because there's just really not a lot of um, personality that he exudes. Sometimes he gets really angry in media press conferences where it's not like he's outwardly smashing things. It's not a, you know, Ron Hextall type of anger. It's like a quiet, seething kind of anger where it's uh, either calling out a team or doing something. But yeah, what what is he like? Because I really don't think we know. Well, no, you don't. Um, you know, one thing is with Freddie, it, it takes a while for him to build up trust in, into other people, but also I mean, that's just the way. He, like he's very quiet, and once you once he's around you and, and you know how to talk to him and get things out of him, it's just like it's a totally di- different animal, right? Then he's a guy. He, he loves to laugh. He loves to have a good time. He lo- like to you know tell jokes or. or um, you know, he's the first guy to call you out, though. Hey, come on, leave me alone. Or as a coach, you're not doing good enough. Come on, push me harder. Or, you know, so he, he's really one of those guys who, he, once you know him, he opens up like a book. But, like, with the media, with 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 other people, he, he it's, it's, a, it's a wall there. And it's a wall that, you know, he's learned to, to deal with. And... And he he wants to keep it on a professional level and just keep it separate, right? Uh, his private life is uh, his private life, and he's got great friends. Like you said, he's got friends from all over the league and um, and coaches who love him to death and and fellow teammates that same wish nothing but the best for him, right? So just because of his personality, and uh, he's one of those guys who who makes his teammates better every day, and uh, he expects to. The same from his teammates. They expect uh, to make him better every day. So it's uh, one of those relationships that uh, you know guys guys love playing for him because he works hard and he, he makes you better at the same time. So you talked about the wall that he puts up between him and the media and people who don't know him. And it's again, it's been effective. And so part of this is what happens is you you take steps as media members, you take steps as fans to try to fill in some of the blanks, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things that's happened over the last year is he has been criticized immensely by the fan base. And we're also living in a time where we're more and more online, we're more on our phones, and so it's probably harder to avoid that stuff. Like, I've never been concerned as to whether or not Freddie Anderson could turn off this radio show or not listen to the podcast if he didn't want to about people discussing his play. Yeah, he shouldn't, but he it it's on. not it's not a concern. It's always usually the media stuff now is actually the social media stuff and the piling on that can happen when you struggle or when someone else gets popular and this has been a roller coaster of a season where he was playing incredibly well, then the play suffered a bit and maybe that was injury related. And then Jack Campbell wins 12 games, someone who a large portion of the fan base was kind of clamoring for and is known as a really also popular locker room guy. How, how do you think that the wall works in terms of his ability to tune that stuff out? Because I would imagine that it's the thing that everyone says that's so tough about playing in Toronto that tuning that out is, is really, really difficult and it takes special kind of guys to be able to do it. Yeah, it does. Um... And, and not just Toronto, just a Canadian market in, in sure. general. Uh, you would know. And when when he first went to Toronto, my first call to him was, Freddie, do you sub- subscribe to your cable? Do not get any print media to your house. You know, and, and it's not to, to say that media is bad. It just... You don't need to read it. You don't want to read. You don't want to read when you're great. You don't want to read when you're bad because this way you can stay level keel 
and be able to focus at the task at hand, and that's giving your guys a chance to win every game possible, right? And as cliche as it sounds, realistically, when you're in a Canadian market, that's all. That's what you got to do. You just got to focus on on you and and almost be like introverted at, at that point because everything can get blown out of proportion so quickly. Like you have a phenomenal game and you let one bad goal in and you lose one nothing. And I've witnessed that a few times this year. Then next thing you know, you know you're getting blown up in the paper. Well, they they're ridiculing you for one one goal against when you just put up 35 saves. The other guy, you know, had 20 or something like that, but it's your fault. You know what I mean? So, so that's part of the reason where he's at, like he's, he's sort of like, he's trying to stay at arm's length. He doesn't want to get caught up in the hype of, of a, like he's on a pedestal. He's the best thing since sliced bread, but he also doesn't want to get caught up into the, the negativity of it all. Right. Uh, so, you know, like I get why he's doing it and I understand why he's doing it. Um, and, it and it's unfortunate that you guys don't get to see his personality because his personality is awesome. But but to play in a market like that, that's how you sort of got to go about it. You know, like there's other guys who, who are a lot more open and want that attention and like the attention and star for it who, who can actually be outgoing and more outward with the media where he's not that person to be able to be able to turn off and on. Um, so he's, it's better for him just to to do what he's doing and in this day it's still and focusing at the task at hand and, you know, hopefully can bring the cup back to Toronto. Talking to Dwayne Rollison. So not, not only do you have that potential pressure of the media and social media, you've got internal stuff that you can't look away from including uh, a backup goalie who was that going into the season, probably still is, who goes on a historic run, becomes a fan favorite because of that historic run, is affable, shows that side of his personality to the media, added to the fact that you're trying to make your next contract, you're a pending free agent. Like, how do you think those things are weighing into the equation here as well? Yeah, they're, they're, all those things come in an equation, but, you know, Freddie's been... He's had to deal with that with in Anaheim as well with John Gibson and then a couple other guys in the minors uh, ahead of him. And, you know, I, I guarantee you, Freddie was the first guy to, you know, when Jack came out off the ice in the locker room was was grabbing him and giving him a great big uh, Danish bear hug. So, uh, you know, he's one of those guys who's going to be a supporter, even though that uh, um, there's other things at hand. But, but you know team's more important and especially when it's when it's goalies you know there's only you know this year's a little bit different but there's usually only two on a team and um you know you got to be there for one another you know through thick and thin and and you know i would imagine he was there i obviously i don't know for sure but i i wouldn't assume anything less than than him uh to be there and support him and that's just the type of guy he is so he's going to take things in his own hands and do what he's got to do and he's going to work hard to be ready to play and he's not going to play until he knows that he can be a factor um to help his team win and that's uh, that's the way he is and that's what he's going to do and when he gets that opportunity he's going to be ready to play Man, you're just like one of like not to gas you up too much here, but you're just like the perfect guy to talk to not only cuz you know Freddie Anderson, you coach Freddie Anderson, but like when I think about Goalies who were first part of, like, for me anyway, as a, like a fan of goalies, iconic tandems, it was you and Manny Fernandez. And it was like not the most prevalent thing yet, right? Where now it's so many teams are just, hey, you have two goalies and they split the net extremely well and both guys are good. But I can still remember having debates when I was a kid about, you know, who was the better goaltender out of the two of you and whether they should play Fernandez more or you more. And you guys had a lot of success doing that. And there's always this discussion of, hey, what it takes to be a starter is so much different than being a, a backup or someone that does spot starts because you need to be able to handle that grind, you know, every single day. And you need to be able to handle that, those mental ups and downs very, very well. And knowing that if you have one bad game, you can check out and have the responsibility of being the starting goaltender. And 
I, I wonder how you feel like Freddie would do, because you said he did it with John Gibson, to, and he did, but how he's going to do now in this situation and, and how you kind of handled yours, because, yeah, you had one that was kind of reminiscent of what might be happening now. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is, the, the teams are starting to do it now that analytics is coming out of the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you go back and look at recent Stanley Cup wins, looking at, at how much goalies have played and there's all this controversy and debate and all this stuff going on, you know, the last couple of years with the with the pandemic uh, has been a lot different, but uh, going into this stuff there, you know, how much should your starting goalie play? Should you play 60% of the games or 70% of the games, you know, Grant Fears and, and uh, Marty Brodeurs are, are, are not teams aren't playing that guy 70, 80 games anymore. You know, they're, they're trying to find the right mix and between, you know, the travel and, you know, the, game density and everything else in the mental side of it, you know, like it's not the physical side that sort of tires guys out. It's the mental side. And, and, you know, back and I hate to date myself, but back in the eighties and in early nineties and in early two thousands here, we didn't have the social media. We didn't have all the media coverage and great for the game to grow the way it has in the media and like, you know, the great TV deals out the, the, the team the league is getting now and all that stuff we you didn't have to deal with that um as an athlete as 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 much as you do today and it's the mental side that sort of taxes you more than the physical side of taxing and you know he's going to be able to handle it he's going to be able to deal with it and plus it's at the same side if i'm a gm and a coach i'm like perfect we got a great Great opportunity here. Jack's playing great. Freddie's on his way back from an injury, so we can play him a couple games, get him some rest, so he make sure that he heals properly, and you know, so you have time to work Freddie back into the lineup from, you know, with having a guy who's playing well. You know, you don't want to take away and disrupt your team, but at the same time, you you're doing what's going to be right to set yourself up for later on um, and to win. To win the Stanley Cup, which is everyone's goal at the start of the year. So you, you touched on the next thing I wanted to get to is get into a couple of games. So he's a full participant in practice here. We got two weeks left in the regular season. Doesn't look like cap wise he'll be able to play in the National Hockey League um, before the playoffs. Yeah, which means maybe a couple of games in the AHL, but maybe not even that. Like, w- what kind of? Uh, what kind of a mind frame would you be in? How possible is it to go into maybe starting game one of a postseason series, maybe only having a couple of American League games under your belt, or maybe none at all? Um, well, I, I can go back to, for me, it, personally, I, I think I, I played in Toronto in game one and two. I, I only played 14 games that year with Buffalo. So um, you, when you're practicing, you're not going to get game you're not getting game reads, you're not getting game stuff, but you're ready to go. Um, physically, you're ready to go. You're tracking, you're doing all the little things to to set yourself up. It's it's just the more the, the game reads. And if you can get an opportunity to play one or two games in, in the minors, that's going to set them up to, to have some success, uh, you know, as soon as he gets thrown in. But, you know, you can... You can't emulate, but you can simulate um, gameplay, you know, with the two-on-ones, three-on-twos, all area games. Um, and I'm sure with the taxi squad uh, that uh, all these teams are carrying now that you'd be able to get some of that stuff in, you know, uh, penalty killing, some power play situations, all, all those little things that need to set you up to, to have success when you start playing. And, you know, it, you know, I'm not in a bubble. I don't know what teams are doing day in, day out right now. But it sounds like there's enough guys around um, with the, the pandemic and the quarantining and the testing and everything else that they have. Um, there's enough guys around to be able to get some of those in practice where he doesn't have to go outside the bubble to 
to get get some gameplay in to have to come back to quarantine before he could play again, you know. So, you know, that's that's really up to the team and what they want to do. But for a goalie's perspective, you can get enough in on a practice to get him ready to play in a game. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's probably weird for you. Yeah, no. It is good. And that I, makes all sense. Okay. It does. Well, it's actually something that we've been talking about, like, at nauseum for it's the last like, two weeks. And, yeah, something that, you know, coming from you makes it sound a little bit more validated. But, yeah, it's probably weird for you to think about this this way. But, yeah, now he's 31 and he's a real longtime veteran in the league. He's very, um, like, when you met him in 2013, a lot older. He's got a lot of different experience. So maybe it's it's tough to quantify this too. But is he the kind of guy where you can just drop him in a big situation and he'll be fine right out of the gates? Or is he a goaltender to you who does need more of those game reads that you mentioned? Like he is someone that needs a little bit more time to get acclimated and find his game. Um, He's a guy that's going to work hard in practice. He's going to get everything he needs needs from practice to be able to have success in a game. Um, You know, we had a, we had a couple of, Stints, you know, different animals between John Gibson and Freddie Anderson um, in, Ana- in Anaheim. Uh, Freddie was coming back from a concussion, and uh, you know, we 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 got him ready to go. And he was he took probably two extra practices, and he was ready to go. We threw him in a game, and he had success right away. Where Gibby, Gibby, he we just did a couple goalie practices and threw him in the game right away. He was ready to go. It's just where Freddie wants. Just it's just more of him. He just needs one or two extra practices, which he's going to get that right now, anyways. Uh, he's he's game ready by the sounds of what you guys are saying. He's taking full practices now. Yep. So that means he's ready. He's taking full practices. He's ready to go, and with the extra practice time that he's going to get, he he'll be ready to go once once uh, uh, they can put him into a game. Dwayne, uh, this is really insightful. And uh, we appreciate the time. Uh, go back to your beautiful locale in, in Florida. Go golf, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I'm on the fifth hole of the golf course here. Oh, nice! And all my, You're all my nice. buddies up there, and I know the Jilgar construction guys are all mad that they can't golf there right now because they had a they had a company cor- corporate uh, golf outing, but they they couldn't had to cancel it. So hopefully, you guys get everything opened up up there soon and. Yeah. I'd like to get back to Canada myself, so hopefully yeah. uh, everything gets gets done here. Everyone stay safe, please. Yeah, uh, from your mouth to Dwayne, or, uh, Doug Ford's ear. Uh, Dwayne, thanks for this. <laughs> thanks, man. Thank you very much, guys. Take care. So, yeah, there's uh, Dwayne Rolson. Great guest. That was awesome. So glad we did it. I uh, mm-hmm. wish we had more time to talk about it, but we'll do that tomorrow maybe. Uh, tune in tomorrow for more of Good Show. Goodbye.